How are you doing? Oh, thank you. Johnson and Johnson, good for the hair. Um, I'm really excited to preach today. And if I'm excited to preach, you should be excited to receive. Man, because God has a word for us today. I want you to turn to your neighbor right now. I want you to tell him, you know what? I'm really glad to see you today. And then I want you to, I want you to stare into their eyes for like three, until it gets really awkward. Just turn to them and say, neighbor, I'm really glad to see you. <laughs> now, now turn to the other person too, because they need some love. Turn to the person, the other person on the other side, stare into their eyes for a long time. Tell them, you know what? I'm really glad to sit next to you today. To see you today. Mm. Some of y'all were looking a little too long. I saw, I saw, I saw there was some magic out there. Man. That's not what you're here for. <laughs> today I want to talk to you about a topic. The title of today's message is called Brave New World brave new world. You're taking notes. You should be taking notes, not mental notes, notes with your hand or with your iPad or whatever you're going to do. Brave new world. Today, I want to encourage you to look at the word of God with fresh eyes today. You know, the word of God, I want to tell you something that maybe some of you don't believe the word of God is exciting. The word of God is exciting. The word of God is scandalous. The word of God is it's like better than any thriller, any movie. Like if they took the word of God and they made it into a literal movie, like if they decided, you know what, we're going to make a movie, not Charlton Heston, not the Bible TV series that skips a whole bunch of stuff. We're going to make a legit movie about the Bible. It would be more exciting, more scandalous, more crazy than any of the movies that you see down today. I mean, you got the story of David, you know, David, we, we think of David, we just think of him out, you know, with the sheep, real boring. But then, you know, you think about Every battle that David's been in, all those people he was killing. That's like my favorite action flick. You know, David and Bathsheba hold up like that is that's where that's worse. That's more scandalous than any movie that's out. That's not like the notebook. You know, we read the word of God and when we it's so funny. We look at we look at other books out in the world and we're like, man, this book's so exciting. Oh, I'll read, you know, we read fiction, we read nonfiction, we read all these different things. But then we pick up the word of God and we're like, man, I don't want to read this today. Man, this is boring. (sighs) Abraham went out and God blessed him. Solomon stood before the altar of God. God. I think the reason why we don't know that the word of God is exciting is because most of us can't read. I'll be honest. Because if you could read, 
you would read the word of God and you would look at it and be like, you know what? This is some exciting stuff. Today, we're going to talk about Abraham. Many of you guys, you've heard about Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons. I didn't say sing it. Silencio. We think about Abraham, we think Abraham's boring. But then when you read the story of Abraham, you realize this is pretty exciting. Like if I substituted Abraham with my mama, it would be the most exciting story I've ever heard. I want you to leave and go where I don't know. Just go. You know, Abraham goes into Egypt and Pharaoh sees Sarah and Sarah was a lot younger then. So he's like, man, Sarah is cute. So Abraham, here's what I'm going to do. Now, Abraham sees it. And he's like, listen, Sarah, you are so fine that they're going to kill me if they know you're my wife. So you are now my sister. <laughs> Korean dramas don't think of stuff like that. <laughs> and then Pharaoh walks up and Pharaoh says, oh, snap. Who's this? This is Sarah. Sarai. Okay. What's up, Sarai? And the- no, that's her literal name. It's like Sarai. Like, what's up, Sarai? You know what? I'm going to pay you, Abraham, for your sister, Sarah. You realize he sold his wife to Pharaoh? And we say the Bible's boring. Shoot. I'm going to put y'all on adult version of Hooked on Phonics, man. People can't read. I just was thinking about it all week as I've been meditating on the word of God. I was like, man, the word of God is exciting. Man, some of the stuff in here, if I saw it on TV once, I'd feel uncomfortable. I'd probably crush my television. But we read it, you know, everyone goes out and reads Twilight and Harry Potter and was it Fifty Shades of Grey? Don't read that. And they go out and read all these books and they're like, man, this is exciting. This is the next thing, whatever, you know. None of those stories are real. But everything we read in the Bible is someone's actual life. So I want to encourage you today to look at the passages that we're talking about, to look at the life of Abraham with fresh eyes. New sight today. I want you to turn. We're going to look at three different passages of scripture. I want you to turn to Galatians chapter three. We're going to look at one verse there, verse twenty nine. Then I want you to turn over to Hebrews. Hebrews eleven. I want you to stick a thumb there or a pencil or a piece of paper or something. Hebrews 11, 8 to 12. And then you're going to flip. I should have did this in chronological order, but whatever. You're going to flip over to Genesis chapter 12. Because we're going to look at some scripture today. I want you to look at it with fresh eyes. Galatians 3 verse 29. We're going to read this verse all together and I'm going to pray for us. Galatians 3 29. One, two, three. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is not something made up. We thank you that your word is not boring. Your word is not 
Your word is real. Your word is living and active. And your word is filled with truth to set us free. Your word is filled with principles that are to show us how to live. Your word is filled with the examples of people who have went before us, God, so that we can know how to best relate and live with you. So, God, I pray right now, Lord, that as the word goes out, would you open up our hearts and our minds? I pray, God, would you break off, Lord, just all offense, break off, God, all judgment, break off everything in our hearts that would keep us from receiving your word today. Give us open minds, give us open hearts, and give us fresh eyes for your word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you are Christ, if you are a Christian, if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and you confess with your mouth that he's Lord and God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You are a Christian. That is how we become Christians. And when you become a Christian, you are Christ. First Corinthians six says you have been bought at a price. Your life is not your own. And so when you make that profession of faith, what happens is you become a person that belongs to Jesus. It's not just about you anymore, but you belong to Christ and you are Christ. But Christianity is not just about belonging to Christ and it's not just about getting into heaven. We love to talk about salvation as just, oh, I can't wait till I stand at those pearly gates and I walk up to the the guy, the short guy with the angel's wings and he's got the big book and he's going to tell me if I got in. Yes, I prayed the prayer. I got in. Many, many Christians walk around thinking that, oh, well, if I prayed the prayer, then that's all there is to it. Wrong. No, Christianity isn't simply about getting into heaven and living in eternity with Christ. But really, it's also about God's blessing manifesting in your life now. See, the reason why most people around you probably don't know you're Christian is because you thought that Christianity was only about praying a prayer and not about living in the blessing of God now. But God desires for his blessing to overflow in your life now. And so he says, if you're Christ, he says something really interesting in Galatians 3.29. He says, then you are Abraham's offspring. Everyone say offspring. The word offspring, it also is translated seed. Everyone say seed. Now in the Greek, the word for seed is sperma. Where we get another word. Literally meaning seed. He says, if you are in Christ, you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. I want to talk to you today about a seed. Snap, I'm getting like PC, my voice cracked. (laughs) Just kidding. I want to talk to you today about a seed. See, in the body of Christ, we've lost an understanding of the power of a seed. Do you know that that seeds carry crazy amounts of potential? I was I was meditating on this verse this week about if you are in Christ, you are Abraham's seed. And I was like, God, what does that even mean? I'm Abraham's seed. What does it mean to be a seed? And then I was like, you know what? I'm going to look up apple seeds. You ever thought about apples? I'm giving you an example. Apples. 
How, do you know how many seeds are in an apple? You know, it varies. There's no wrong answer. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> you know, in an, in an apple, in an apple, there can be as many as eight to four seeds. There's, there's, I totally got you with that. Uh, but there can be as many as four to eight seeds inside of one particular apple. But do you know how many seeds it takes to create an apple tree? One. So, you know, one, one apple, one seed, one seed yields one apple tree. And then that one seed creates one apple tree. And do you know how many apples can be in an apple tree? Don't answer. I've already looked it up. It varies. <laughs> Suckers. One apple tree can, will produce about four to five bushels a year. Now, inside of one bushel is approximately about 120 to 126 apples. Now, you times that times four, you're getting about 500 apples in a year from one apple tree. Now, most apple trees, they live for about 30 to 40 years, which means that, that, that from that one seed comes one apple tree. That one apple tree over the course of its life produces 20,000 apples. And we haven't even gotten to the, the seeds that are in those apples that also will produce 20,000. And the seeds in those that will produce 20,000, it's actually exponential growth. A seed. It actually, you can look at anything, whether it's, whether it's apples or anything that, produce, that has a seed, it's the same principle. Exponential growth, exponential life. There's this quantitative property of a seed that means quantitative blessing. And God says, you are seed. That means that God has put inside of you crazy potential. God has put inside of you the kind of potential that is numerous. It's so numerous. You cannot count it. That number that comes from when you count up all the apples that could potentially be produced from through that one seed, you could wrap it around the earth multiple times. And God says, you are a seed that he's put that kind of quantitative power, that exponential kind of potential inside of you. See, when you become a Christian, when God looks at you, he doesn't just see one. He sees thousands upon thousands upon thousands. When he looks at you, he doesn't just see one, but he sees blessings that, that just overflow. Because you are seed. That's the quantitative aspect. Let's look at the qualitative aspect, right? Because if you're talking about a seed, if you want to know what's, what the seed is going to produce, you got to look at the seed's DNA, right? You got to look at where the seed is coming from. We know apples produce apple seeds that produce apples. Well, you are Abraham's seed. So if there's this this huge potential inside of you, then we need to look at Abraham to figure out what that potential is going to produce. So I want you to look, I want you to look at Genesis chapter 12. And we're going to talk about, Ab we're going to talk about Abraham, formerly known as Abram. I want you to look at Abraham's life. Let's look at Genesis chapter 12, verses, verse 2 to 3. God speaks to Abram before he gets the name change. 
He says, and I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those that bless you in him who dishonors you. I will curse and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, if we're Abraham's seed, that means that what God has spoken to Abraham, what God has put in us is exponentially greater than even what he gave to Abraham. I will bless you. See, God's saying to you today, I will bless you. I will make your name great through you. All the families of the earth will be blessed. See, that's God's promise, not just to this man, Abraham, but through Christ, it's to you. How many of us get up in the morning and look in the mirror and say, snap. Through me, all the families of the earth going to be blessed. (laughs) You know, hey, Marcus, how's it going? Shoot. Hey, you don't even know. Through me, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. You'd be like, why don't you shut up and sit down somewhere? (laughs) But that's what God says. I want you to skip over to chapter 13. I love this. Oh, this is a favorite one right here. I want you to look at. At chapter 13, verses 1 to 6, it says, Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all he had, and Lot with him, his, his uh, I believe it's his nephew, his, wait, no, yeah, yeah, his nephew. He takes, he takes Lot with him, and Abraham was very, Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And Lot, who went with him, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. I'm going to make some of you feel a little uncomfortable. God actually desires to bless you materially. God desires for you to live in a blessing financially. Anybody who tells you different needs that hooked on phonics for adults. They're not reading their Bible. Because when God blessed Abram, he didn't just bless him with a promise that he was going to make his name great and that he was going to bless him. He also blessed him financially. It says that he was very rich. God wants to bless you in such a way that the generations after you will be provided for. But our generation, we don't, we don't think about that. See, you are Abraham's seed, which means that everything that God has blessed Abraham with through Christ, you walk in the greater manifestation of it. But our generation, we don't we don't have that mindset. See, there's a lot of deception that goes out. And it's convinced us that, you know what? No, you got to look out for yourself. You're not going to live a blessed life. You're not going to live a life of prosperity. You're not going to live a life that is blessed in your relationships. God said, not not only do I want to bless you and make your name great, not only do I want to bless you financially, he also said, I'm going to bless your relationships. I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, the sands in the seashore. But how many of us aren't rich in our relationship with God, our relationships with people, 
and financially. We walk around poor. Poor in our relationships. All the people around us, our relationships are constantly fragmented, constantly being broken. You know, our generation, it says that that our generation, the age of marriage is getting later and later and later and later and later. And then once people get married, they're having less and less children. You know why that is? That's because we're relationally broken. Financially. Our generation is accruing more and more and more and more debt. So we stay with our parents longer and longer and longer and longer. I mean, you guys are in Korea, though. Your parents don't send you money or anything like that, right? That doesn't happen. You're not living off your parents. Longer and longer and longer and longer. And then we're not at a place where we can be a blessing to the nations. See, God desires for you to be blessed. That understanding of blessing was a full understanding, not just in terms of I'm having a good day, man, I'm blessed. But it meant that you're being blessed in your relationship with God, being blessed in your relationships with people and also being blessed financially. God wants you to be blessed. See, God's been confronting me about my own poverty recently. Last Sunday, I was at I was at Seaside for their Sunday service. And and after the service, Pastor Aaron, I just walked up to her and I was like, Pastor Aaron, you got to pray for me. And she was like, why? And it was because during her message, she was talking about being blessed. She was talking about prospering. She was talking about how a person who meditates on the word of God day and night, that God will prosper them in everything that they do. And when she said that something inside of me was warring with it. Something inside of me was rejecting everything that she had to say because I believed that I was destined to be poor. Poor in my relationships. Poor financially. Poor in in every area. We call that a poverty spirit. And so she prayed for me and she prayed for me and she said, Marcus, it's funny. I'm warring in this. I don't tell her anything. She prays for me. She says, Marcus, I just feel like God's saying he's leading you into a season of abundance. I'm like, what? That is the exact opposite of what I thought I needed to hear. And then this week, God has been causing me to chew more and more on what it means to step into that life of abundance because it doesn't come naturally. It isn't natural for us to live with a blessed mindset. It isn't natural for us to live a life of blessing. Most of us, we don't really know how to do it. But if we're Abraham's seed and what is done in Abraham's life, we are supposed to live out even exponentially more Then not only do we look at Abraham's life to see what kind of life he had. We also have to look at the way that God dealt with Abraham. Because the way that God dealt with Abraham will tell us how God desires for us to live if we're going to live in this blessed mentality. If we're going to venture into areas that maybe our families haven't even ventured into. Maybe you've never lived a life of freedom. Maybe everyone in your life, in your family is an addict, but God is calling you to step out into a place of wholeness. Maybe everyone in your family's poor, but God is calling you to step into a place of abundant prosperity. Maybe all your relationships around you are broken, 
But you're the seed of Abraham, which means God's calling you to step into a place of wholeness. If you're listening, say amen. Amen. So we got to look at Abraham's life. And so I'm going to give you two, two keys about Abraham's life. Two keys about Abraham's life that Abraham had to had to do. He had to do in order to step into what God had for him. And the first thing was that Abraham had to let go. (laughs) Turn to your neighbor, say, neighbor, I've been looking into your eyes a long time. You got to let go. Three things Abraham had to let go of. He had to let go of the past. He had to let go of what he knew. He had to let go of what he was comfortable with. Look at Genesis chapter 1. Once, Genesis chapter 12. Once again, verses 1 to 12. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. It's funny. God tells him to go, to leave his family, to leave everyone he knew, to leave everything that he was he had been living in his past. And then he says, and I will bless you. He doesn't say, and then he says, and meaning Abraham, if you don't leave, I'm not blessing you. If you don't step out of your father's house, if you don't leave your past. Then you're not stepping into the promises. See, God had to lead, lead him to a place where he could leave it all if he was going to get something that he never had before. See, many of us, we want to hold on to our past and then step into God's future for us. But it doesn't work like that. You can't hold on to that that sin. You can't hold on to that previous addiction from your past and then also step into freedom. It doesn't work like that. He had to let go of his father's house, his family, everyone that he knew, everyone that he was so comfortable with. He had to let go. See, there's some things that I know some of you have been holding on to. And maybe it's something you struggle with for a very long time. But in order for you to step into what God has for you, you got to let go. You know, surrender is like a it's like a dirty word in the church, you know, We talk about surrender and it's just like, you know, because when we think about surrender, we think of surrender like I got in a fight with Jesus and I lost. God, now I surrender, you know, like me and Jesus were just in World War Three and I lost. So I got to sign the armistice. Jesus, I surrender. You know, so people in the church tell us that surrender is somehow about you lost. You, You need to just give up, you know, let go and let God. Surrender is more about receiving than giving. You ever had someone try to give you something when your hand is clenched 
really hard to receive when you're tight fisted. But so many of us, we come before God and we're holding on to stuff and God's like, I want to bless you, but your hands are too tight. You won't let go of that memory of what that person did, of what you went through. You won't let go of that habit. You've been holding on to it for far too long. Second thing he had to let go of, he had to let go of his comfort. And he had to let go of what he knew. I want you to turn to Hebrews 11. And we're going to get through all this today because this word is, is setting you free. Hebrews 11, we're going to look at verses 8. We'll just look right now from verses 8 to 10. It says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob heirs with him of the same promise because he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. Abraham had to leave his family's his family's camp and then he had to go somewhere else and start living in tents. And it was just him, his wife who was getting dramatically older and his cousin and his nephew Lot. I'm guessing that was not a comfortable surrounding. Especially for Lot. I'm sure that was awkward. But Abraham understood that before he could step into what God had to lead him into, he had to let go of his comfort. When God said, go into a land, I will show you. The Bible says it was a foreign land. He didn't know the terrain. He didn't know whether or not it was going to be a comfortable place for him to be. But in order for you to step into what God has for you, you got to let go of that comfort. Also, you got to let go of what you know. See, so many of us, we get so wrapped up in what we've been taught or what we think. And, and, and we don't understand that in order for God to bless you beyond your imagination, he's got to take you beyond your comprehension. I'm going to say that again. In order for God to bless you beyond your imagination, he's got to take you Beyond what you can comprehend. Beyond what you can understand. Beyond what fits in your grid. Beyond what you like. You know, he's got to take you beyond that. Abraham had to go beyond what he knows. And I like it in Hebrews. I like how the guy in Hebrews, he he keeps it real. He keeps it real. He says in verse 8, he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out. Not knowing where he was going. You ever been on a road trip? Like we, I like, I love to go on road trips. I went on a road trip across the United States. I went on a road trip down south in, in, in uh, Korea. You know, every time I travel, it's just, I love just traveling. But have you ever been on a road trip without a map? Some of you have. That's called being lost. It's not a road trip. That's called being lost. But in order for you to discover things that you've never seen before, never known about, you can't have a map. 
you've got to go beyond what you know if you are to step into areas that you could never imagine for yourself. Blessings that you can never imagine. We see, enough, we see examples of this all throughout the Bible. But one of my favorite examples is the example of Paul. Paul, formerly known as Saul, right? He was a persecutor of the church. He, he hated Christians. All of a sudden, Jesus shows up, bright lights. Whoa! Yo, son, why are you persecuting me? All of a sudden, he gets blinded. Ugh. And I've heard so many different sermons on this. You know, he was blind for three days because God wanted to. He had to spiritually die and then resurrect him. And then, you know, Ananias comes and he, he lays his hands on him. His eyes open. Here's what I think. Before Saul met Jesus, he was the Pharisee of Pharisees. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a leader among all the people. But the moment where he was blinded, it's the Bible says that his handlers had to lead him to where he needed to go. So he went from being a leader to being led. And then the rest of his life, he wasn't a leader anymore. He wasn't the guy telling everybody what to do. He was the guy waiting on the spirit of God to tell him where he needed to go. He was the guy that was blind. And God was leading him. And he saw amazing things, but he would have never saw those things if he wasn't led by the spirit. See, God wants to bless you, but you got to let go. The next thing Abraham had to sow. Everyone say so. I want you to stay with me. It's really important that you get this. He not only had to let go. See, many of us, we will we'll let go. God, I give it all to you. Here it is. You know, I just let go. I surrender. But it wasn't just enough for Abraham to let go. He also had to sow. Turn back to Genesis 12. He had to sow in three ways. He had to sow in worship. The Bible says that every time that that God spoke to Abram, he built an altar. Verse chapter 12, verse eight, well, chapter 12, verse seven, it says the Lord appeared to Abram and said to your offspring, I will give this land. So Abram built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. You look at you look at chapter 13, verse four, it says that he went back to Bethel to the place where he made an altar at first. There, Abraham called upon the name of the Lord. That means he worshiped. Skip over to verse 18. It says that Abram moved his tent. This is after God speaks to him and says this land that you're at right now, I'm going to also give to you and your offspring forever. I'm going to make your offspring as the dust of the earth, verse 16. So that if anyone can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also will be counted. Verse 18, it says, so Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of memory, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord, meaning that Abram, he, Abraham, he worshiped. He didn't just leave, but he also stopped to sow in in worship. See, when you sow in and worship, what that means is that you go beyond what you're comfortable with in worship. Some of you may have come from a, a background where no one 
raises their hands, where no one shouts to the Lord, where no one even opens up their hands before God. But if you're going to get blessed beyond what you know, you've got to be able to sow in worship in a way that you've never done it before. See, worship is a sacrifice. Worship is a seed. Because when we bring God worship, we open up our hands before him. It's a seed that invites his presence and blessing to come down. The second thing he had to do, he had to sow financially. God speaks to him all these promises. He makes him rich beyond his wildest dreams. And then in chapter 14, what happens is he, he comes before this guy named Melchizedek. Everyone say Melchizedek. I want to encourage you to name your first child Melchizedek. Just call him Melky. He runs into this guy, this king of Salem. His name is Melchizedek. And, and the Bible says that he is a type and a figure of Jesus. He comes before this guy named Melchizedek. And Melchizedek, he blesses him. Blessed be Abram by God most high. And blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. He blesses Abram. And then Abram turns around and he gives him a tenth of everything he has. You know what he gives him? He gives him a tithe. He gives him a tithe because Abraham understood that he was being blessed and everything that tithe that he was giving back was a seed where he was going to reap even greater blessings in his life. Let me talk to you about your finances. If you want to be blessed in your finances, you've got to stop being tight-fisted. And you've got to sow in. See, when Abraham, when he sowed into the house of God, when he sowed in to Melchizedek, when he sowed in with a tenth of everything he had, what happened next was then God gave him a bigger promise than any promise he had ever given him before. See, God was working his way up in blessing. See, the first blessing is that you just start off in worship. You learn how to sow in worship. You learn how to come and But you've got to break out of that and you've got to start learning how to sow in financially. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And for many of us, our treasure is at ABC Mart rather than in the house of God. Our treasure is at the department store rather than in the house of God. Our treasure is in someplace else other than the house of God. But once you start sowing in a seed, you position yourself to then be blessed by God. If you don't believe me, read Malachi chapter three. It says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse so that there will be food in my house. And I will open up the windows of heaven and bless you. Until there is no more need. This isn't about this isn't about even this church. This isn't about any of that. It's about you living a life of blessing, being obedient to the word of God. That's where the authority is. And then he had to sow into the promise. And that meant that he had to sow into the promise that God had given him. God gave him a promise that all his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand and seashore. But Abraham still had to sow in that promise. He had to sow into it first with Sarah. 
I mean, don't imagine, but if you can think of Abraham's situation, you know, we, you know, the story of Sarah and Hagar, Sarah was barren. She was barren for so long. And then she, she says, you know what? The promise can't get fulfilled through me. Even though God said specifically, that's where the promise will get fulfilled. So he said, she says here, here's my servant, Hagar. And so Abraham sleeps with Hagar and has Ishmael. But God comes to Abraham and he says, listen, that is not where you're supposed to sow. You're supposed to sow with Sarah. And we make it like, you know, Abraham saw holy and everything. But Abraham actually negotiates with God. And he's like, God, really? Like, why don't you just bless Ishmael? You know why he said he just wants you to bless Ishmael? You know why Abraham said, God, bless Ishmael? It's because he didn't want to go and lay with with Sarah, Sarah was like 80, 90 years old. And he was like in his hundreds. He was like, God, I've already done this once. I'm not trying to do it again. And at least not with Sarah. <laughs> the Bible's real. I try to tell you it's scandalous. I told you that in the beginning. Some of y'all trying to laugh on the side like, yeah, it was that real. Abraham's like, Sarah, Hagar, Hagar, Sarah. Hagar. Come on, God. Hagar. And God's like, no, Sarah. <laughs> A miracle happens. Sarah becomes pregnant because Abraham's obedient and she has Isaac. Isaac is the offspring. Isaac is the seed in living form right here. Isaac. And God says to Isaac, Abraham, I want you to sow I want you to sacrifice your son, Isaac. You know what that meant? I want you to sow in the promise that I've, I've given to you. I know I've been speaking great promises over your life, but if you're not willing to surrender even that, if you're not willing to even let that go and sow that in, then the promise can't get fulfilled. See, you got to be willing not just to sow in worship and sow in financially, but the very dreams and callings that God's put on your life, you got to be willing to even sow that in and say, God, you know what? I'm willing to even give this. Not because God wants to take away your calling and destiny, but because he wants to give you something greater. See, in order for God, in order for you to reap a blessing Bigger than what you can imagine, you also have to sow beyond what you're comfortable with. That's how you step into what God has for you. And see, when God did that, when Abraham stepped into that, God then poured out blessings over his life in an even greater fashion than any of us could ever imagine. But the craziest thing about this is that in Christ, You are Abraham's seed. In Christ, what Abraham experienced to to what was a large degree, you get to experience in an exponential fashion. But it's only if you're willing to let go and you're willing to sow. I want us to pray together.